The winner is. 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 I'm so excited. The winner is. Welcome to another very special bonus episode of the KBB Review Podcast dedicated to the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021. We're into July and that means we're now counting down the weeks to the event and very exciting it is too. Now you may have heard that by popular demand, we've switched to a bigger venue. Still in Liverpool, it's still on September the 15th, but we're now in the iconic Liverpool Cathedral. It's an astonishing building, a true British landmark and it's a spectacular backdrop for what will be the biggest KBB industry post-lockdown party. So as it's such an amazing place, we've decided to dedicate this entire episode to finding out more about it. I'll be talking to Brian Dowling, who is one of the cathedral guides, so what he doesn't know about the place isn't worth knowing. And trust me, there are monkeys, circus dwarves, and enormous bells, so don't miss it. But before we get into that... As always, this special episode is brought to you with the fantastic support of our 2021 KBB Review Awards podcast partner, Swift Electrical. They're the UK's number one big brand distributor of sinks, taps and appliances and you can find out all about the latest offers at swiftuk.co.uk or call a very nice member of the Swift team. You can also, of course, come along to the event itself by booking seats or tables. Whether you come on your own or use it as an opportunity to entertain some key customers, you'll have a great night. We've got the full dinner and ceremony in the cathedral and then we're taking over our own nightclub down the road for the incredible after party until the wee small hours. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to find out how to book your spot. So let's find out everything we need to know about Liverpool Cathedral from someone who gets to talk about it every day, and that's Brian Dowling, who is lucky enough to be one of the guides there. Hello, Brian. Hi, Andrew. Nice to speak to you. Well, it's great to hear a Scouse accent, Brian. I I don't hear many of them down here. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Now, let's start with a little bit about you. How did you end up as a guide there at the cathedral? I was, a, I guess I was a fat cat in industry until about five years ago. I worked for a number of international companies and took the chance to take retirement, woke up on a Monday morning and thought, goodness me, what am I going to do with myself? I did a bit of a chase round, went into museums, cathedrals, national trust. I ended up doing a couple of days a week as a Tudor tour guide in Speak Hall, which is just outside Liverpool. And I joined Jenny's team on the welcome desk in Liverpool, which I then developed onto a tour guide in the cathedral, recently having written the first outside tour for the place. So feeling quite proud about that. Yeah, it's such a fascinating place. And to go there every day and talk about it every day must be so interesting. And I guess you're meeting and doing the tour for people from all over the world too. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been obviously slightly different this last year or so with it, but I guess on an average day we'd probably get 60% of people from outside of Liverpool and of those probably half of them are from outside of the UK. Do a lot with the tour ships, a lot with the university students and their families. So we have a real mixed bag and we've got a nice big map on the wall where we ask people to indicate where they've come from. And that's interesting when you look at that at the end of the day, because it's here, literally here, there and everywhere. Yeah, it's obviously played a part in my life too, growing up. I can remember going to Cub Scout events and various other things there. And as a landmark, it's clearly hugely significant to Liverpool. But I think many people would assume that it's actually been around a lot longer than it has. But in cathedral terms, it's a comparatively young building, isn't it? Yeah, it's a young baby. We do get that challenge quite often when people ask, when was it built? And you tell them and you can see the look on their face to say, 
you won the gin last night or something. <laughs> we actually started building it. Uh, the, the foundation stone was laid on the 19th of July, 1904. And it took, surprisingly, it took 74 years to complete. But it's fair to say that was not because they were slow. It was because the two world wars caused quite a disruption to the building. Although they did continue to build right throughout both of the wars, but in a very limited way. But yeah, 74 years end to end, but um, it is one of the babies. Yeah, because that Gothic style would also suggest it's been around for a long time too. Now, tell us a little bit about the actual location itself. It's on the top of the hill, overlooking the city, and I suppose you'd also assume that there's always been a church there and it's been consecrated ground for centuries, but even that's not true, is it? No, that's not the case at all. In fact, the the original plan was to build it on the gardens behind St, behind St George's Hall, down in Lower Down. That was the original plan in about the 1880s, but that fell through for one reason or another. And then there was a meeting in Liverpool Town Hall in 1901 to decide a number of things. One, are we finally going to get round to building a cathedral? Because they've been going on about it for quite a while. And they decided yes on that. The formation of the committee, 20 elderly white men. And finally, where we're going to build it. And as you quite rightly say, St. James's Mount up on the top of the hill there. And they purchased the site for the grand sum of £19,400 which I think in today's money, we reckon is about two and a half million. Still good value. I don't know what you can buy down south for two and a half million, <laughs> but uh, certainly not the space we've got up at the top of the hill there. Yeah, and I'm dragging lots of probably untrue things out of my head here, but wasn't it a spoil heap from a quarry or something? Yeah, yeah, it was It was literally that. There was two or three houses built on top of the hill there. Nothing splendid. It, it was, you'd call it almost a waste ground. Some of the very early pictures of them clearing the site, and there wasn't much clearing to do. The only thing that was adjacent to it was the cemetery, which is still there today, and a mausoleum, which interestingly enough was built, nothing to do with the cathedral, but it's outside the grounds of it. That was built in 1830 to uh, house the bodies for a, a pandemic at the time, the cholera pandemic. Yes, that's very prescient, isn't it? And of course, you walk past that mausoleum when you're going into the main entrance. So all our guests will see that when they arrive. Yeah. Now, I love stats, Brian. I'm a journalist. I love stats. So give me some Roy Castle record breakers type stats on the cathedral. For example, I believe it is the biggest cathedral in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it's the tallest, tallest Gothic standing tower in the UK. It's got the, the biggest peel of bells in the world, 31 and a half tons. It's got the second biggest individual bell, Great George. That's the middle bell of the peels. Made of sandstone. Sandstone comes from a quarry about four miles away in a place called Woolton, uh, area where all the Beatles used to live, interestingly enough. Hence, the Beatles used to be called the Quarrymen before they were the Beatles. Although it's made of sandstone, there's an inner structure of bricks as well. There's about 12 and a half million bricks um, inside, the, inside the structure that, that give it some support. They had a competition to find an architect. 103 people entered. Um, narrowed it down to five, put them on display in the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool. Selection was made by the committee and um, the rest history actually got Giles Gilbert Scott gets the the gig and uh, starts building. And how does that compare to the other big cathedrals in the world? A lot of people in our industry will be very familiar with Milan, for example. It's the fifth biggest in the world. Bigger than it. I'm going to test me now. Seville, Milan, St Paul's in Rome and St Patrick's in New York. Well, I'm quite pleased to remember them for. <laughs> yeah, so we're the fifth biggest, about 600 foot long and about 300, well, it is exactly 331 feet high. Trouble is, from the inside, you don't see the full height of the building because you only see up to about 170 foot. And then above that is the bell tower, 
and you don't see the bell tower from inside the building. One of the quirks of the place as well is when the bells are being rung, you can't hear the bells inside the cathedral. You can hear them outside for quite a distance, but you can't hear them inside because of the structure of the bell tower and the concrete base that it's on. So you, you don't actually hear them being rung. Well, I did not know that. That is a good fact. Now, let's go back to this design competition because the event we're having there in September includes awards for design. So the competition that eventually led to the cathedral as we see it today went back and forth a lot, didn't it? So it could have easily looked a lot different. Oh, yeah, very much so. Well, I said there was 105 entered. They were all put on display. They went back and asked five for increased portfolios, what what it was going to be made out of, how long it was potentially going to take, although having said that, they all got that one very wrong. Potential costs, and again, that that's, that one was, was a mile away, but that was quite difficult because of the increase in price of materials from 1904 through to, to 1978. But yeah, the, the original design that Gilbert Scott put forward had two towers instead of one, but the committee were absolutely adamant that they wanted a huge big open space, which hopefully on the day you'll be able to appreciate how big that open space is. So they wouldn't allow any pillars to support the inside. And when you go into most cathedrals or large churches, you will see probably a row of eight or ten pillars that hold up the central space. They wouldn't allow that. So the only way they could get around that problem architecturally was to um, make the two towers into one and make the walls then tear out slowly but surely to, to quite a wide base of the walls. And that allowed them then to not have to have the pillars on the inside, which beggars belief when you see the size of it. And you think there's, um, in theory, it looks like there's not a lot holding it up. Yeah, one of the things that's so impressive about that place is that they clearly have the corporate hospitality market in mind when they built it. Funny enough, you should say that, but you're not far off with what you say there because they, they very much wanted it. So that there was obviously the religious aspect of the building, but there was also very much the space for the people of the city to use for literally, I guess, whatever they wanted. Um, We do get tested these days with people saying, can we, can we, can we? And at the moment, I think we say yes to most things. I mean, we have pop concerts there. We have markets there. We have uh, educational programmes on. We have lots and lots of visitors coming to see us, uh, as, as you guys will. And we have the things like the university graduations, which sadly have been put back this year again. So... That's that's probably a sad bit for us this, this week. We've heard they're being pushed back to potentially September. But hey, the main thing is they'll happen eventually. Yes, the slow crawl back to normal, we hope. Now, one of the things I find so fascinating about it is the way the space is designed for the time it was built. So it's a very traditional-looking Gothic cathedral. But as you say, there are so many elements in there that were anticipating its use. So, for example, I don't think you could have had that enormous open space before the invention of the electric light. No, no, not at all. And it's and it's it's the things, it's the timing when you look at it and you think, how did they? How did they? I mean, we've just we've just seen an article that's been dug up from the archives on the on the bells being installed and how they how they actually got the bells up into the the height of the tower when you think that's 331 feet you've got no electric cables you've got no you've got no hoist you've got no cranes it's all done manually much much is getting the, the blocks of sandstone from the quarry all the way up to the cathedral in the early days all horse and cart and, and manual labor yeah it's it does beg a belief that it's uh, it, it's built the way it was but with so so little technology of the time now, one of the stories I always heard growing up was that no two bricks are the same size. Is that true? 
Probably not. There are some that are fairly uniform. There are lots that are very, very different, ranging from the smaller ones, which I think are probably only a few inches wide, down to the uh, to the largest one, which weighs about six and a half to seven tons. The foundation stone that was the first one that was um, that was put in place, as I say, in July 1904. There is a few stories around the place about none of them being the same, but when you look, I think I don't think I could put my money on it. So I think there's a few that look very, very similar with each other. Oh, there we go. It's not like Scousers to let facts get in the way of a good story, is it? So when everyone turns up at our event in September, they'll be arriving through the main entrance and will have their first drink in the part of the cathedral known as the Well. So can you tell us a little bit about that bit and what they can see there? Because it's really interesting. That's the very last part of the building to be built. That was built after Giles Gilbert Scott passed away. He was born in 1880 and he died in 1960. And that part that you will come into, first of all, is the part that was built after, as I say, after he passed away. It, it was kept fairly well to his design, but in it you'll see you'll see seven windows as you go into the well. As you come in the front door, the three on the right are bishops, pastors, and the very first one you'll see on your right is called the layman's window. And the layman's window was there uh, and created in honour of the people who built the building. So you've got, and, and they're all labelled um, with their picture, with their, uh, you know, the, the, the image of them on glass. There's uh, bricklayers, there's masons, there's foundry workers, there's clerks, there, there's all kinds. And, and there's, at the bottom of that window is, the, is Giles Gilbert Scott and some of the rich and famous of the day as well. On the opposite side, which would be the left as you walk in, there's the windows in honour of the songwriters and hymnologists and stuff like that. As you walk in and you turn round, you're greeted by the large Tideum window, which is, it's quite difficult to make out the figures on it. It's quite modern. But underneath it is a, a blue light effect, words that go along the bottom of the window. It's a piece of modern art by Tracy Emin. Yeah, that space is where a lot of art installations happen, isn't it? When we were there a few weeks ago, there was that enormous spectacular Doves exhibition. Dove exhibition still on. It looks fabulous, and that's attracting an awful lot of visitors. The original plan was, as you came in through that through the main doors into the well, you would see the arch directly in front of you, and that arch almost hid the splendour and size of the place. So as you walked up the well and up the two sets of stairs, you start to then see the enormity and and the size and grandeur of the rest of the building, and that that was the way it was originally intended. So it was almost hold a surprise for you as you walked up and there and went into the main structure. Yeah, it's very theatrical like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So everyone will walk that way when they head towards their tables, which are all set out in the huge central space. So give us a couple of details they should be looking out for from their table. Once you've sat down and you've got yourself settled, you can start to roam your eyes around. There's two sets of statues either side of where, you, where you'll be sitting so if you're looking towards the main altar of the rear dos at the end with the doors behind where you first came in, there's a set of statues on the left-hand side, 10 of them, five female and five male, and they're called the, the virtues and the vices. And the, each of those, each of the statues is a virtue. And, and underneath each of the statues is a vice. that I, The one I find the most amusing and the most interesting is the one called Justice. It's about the fifth one along from from the entrance where you came in. You'll spot it easily enough. It's Justice, which is a, a lady with um, a, a blindfold on because Justice should be should be blind and shouldn't see what's going on. And Justice is holding a pair of scales, all well and good. But underneath is a monkey, and the mm. monkey is holding up 
one of the sides of the scales. So tampering with justice and each of the ones along that side are themed the same way. If you then look to your right, looking towards the main altar, you'll see another set of 10 statues. And those two, I, when we talk to the school children, I tell them they're basically the sciences and their statues about what the, in, in later life in school, what they should be looking at. So each of the figures, again, 10 figures, five male and five female, things like there's one playing music, playing, it looks like a, a, a very early version of a guitar. So that's music. There's a mathematician with a formula in his hand. There's a young lady holding a globe, looking up into the skies, which is astronomy. There's history, there's poetry. There's what you would expect to see in, in later education in school. And again, they're quite fascinating them when you look at them. And then if you're very brave, you look up into the skies and you see right up into the roof of the cathedral. But bear in mind, that's only 170 odd feet. And on top of that is another 170 odd feet. If you're lucky enough to be sitting in the very centre of the tables, you'll see a, a quite a large circle on the floor in honour of Giles Gilbert Scott. But it's also exactly the diameter of the largest bell. And matching that right up in the roof above your heads is another circle, which is the hole they had for the bell to be taken through to put it in place in the bell tower. Well, Gilbert Scott's actually buried there, isn't he? Uh, he's outside. There's nobody buried. They made a, a couple of rules early on. There was nobody. Nobody would be buried in the cathedral. There's a number of memorials to people, but outside the main entrance where you come in, between the main entrance and the mausoleum that we talked about earlier, there's um, a, a, sh a shaped figure in the grass, and that's that's the memorial. It's called the Founders Plot, and buried there is Giles Gilbert Scott and his wife Louise. Well, that rules me out getting buried in there, doesn't it? I thought I'd have a spot there. Yeah, I've got my name on the list, but I've been told no chance. I think we're both behind Ringo. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we're hoping to have is the full pipe organ going when people are there. And another good record breaker stat is, I believe, that it is the biggest in the UK. You're really right. There's 10,286 pipes, believe it or not, in the building. All over the place, ranging from the smallest pipes, which I believe are called a piccolo pipe, right up in the ceiling which is a little tiny one it sounds a bit like a bird whistling to as you look at the altar from the tables where you're sitting you'll see two sets of pipes either side the biggest ones are in the middle of that they're the they're 36 foot pipes and there's some and we, we laughed and joked earlier about some of the stories that come out of the cathedral there is one interesting one we don't know if it's true most of the pipe work to get the air from the bellows down below up to the pipes are built into the to the sandstone structures. So you've got a number of ones where the access to them is difficult, if not impossible. And hence we have the tuning company coming in every week now to retune the bells because it's quite difficult to keep them in perfect tune. The story is that in the early days, there was a circus in town and they went and employed a dwarf from the circus to be lowered into the pipes inside the structure of the cathedral to clear some some damage that had been done by the building, by bits of sandstone dropping in. We don't know whether it's true. It sounds something feasible in those days, but it'd be interesting to know. You know what, Brian? That's one of those stories where it actually doesn't matter if it's true or not. No, it doesn't. No, it's quite good fun. But, Brian, this is all just so interesting. I really love this kind of stuff. And if memory serves, they actually had a a similar design competition for the Catholic Cathedral just down the road, didn't they? And at one point, um, I think if the plans had come off, Liverpool could have had the two of the biggest cathedrals in the world. 
Yeah, because the original the original model for the for the other cathedral would have knocked ours into a cocked hat, as they say. It was absolutely huge financially. It was it was it was going to be difficult to put in place. So it's a shame that it never happened. But it is nice because when you describe the two cathedrals to people, and we do work quite closely together now, particularly the choirs and and the uh, and the clergy, um, it's interesting that they're connected by Hope Street. Um, it always tickles me that, that the fact that that's the uh, the road that connects the two cathedrals. And, and it, it has given us hope over the years. Well, if you want a cathedral, we've got one to spare. Yeah, we could write a song about that. Yeah, there's definitely something in that. Brian, thank you so much for your time. It's so interesting to find out so much about a building I've grown up with and will now host an event in. Keep up the good work. And it's worth saying, actually, I think that one of the things big events like ours do there is support the upkeep of the building, which is so important. So keep going. It must have been a very difficult year for you, but it looks like we should all be back to normal soon, fingers crossed. And it's a real pleasure. I hope you have a really good night. I hope you all enjoy yourselves and uh, don't forget us. Thanks, Brian. A huge thank you to Brian from the Liverpool Cathedral. Anyone attending can now show off and point out the monkey to their whole table. That's not a euphemism. Another massive thanks, of course, to our podcast partner, Swift Electrical. And don't forget to get in and book your seats and tables now to guarantee your place at the event. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards for all the details. See you next time.